So you talked about your son, Archie, and your nephew. And I wondered, what can we do to help our children's gut health? Breastfeeding, love to talk about that. And formula for those people who breastfeeding didn't work, me included. And what can we do as they sort of get older? How important is it that we're nourishing that gut microbiome? It's incredibly important. It actually is important from conception. So when you are pregnant, actually the studies have shown that the mum's diversity of the plants in her diet actually is thought to have outcomes in terms of the baby's health growing up. In fact, there has even been some research that suggests that six months from conception, dad's diet also may have a role in baby's health. So when we made the decision to start trying, I had my husband on a very plant-heavy diet. Again, it was essentially following the diversity diet. It wasn't about plants only because he would not have a bar of that, but it was things like lasagna, taking out a third of the mince and adding in lentils to it. And you know, he didn't even know that I did that because it just tastes still quite meaty. So it's those small little easy hacks to get those extra plants in. So yeah, through pregnancy, I know it can be incredibly tough, particularly if you are nauseated. But I can send a link. I wrote a blog about some of kind of the quick hacks that you can do if you are feeling nauseated, but to still get in the plants, like have seeded crackers, because I know the dry kind of salty foods can be quite soothing, but also eating some carbs every two to three hours can help settle the nerves. You know, having a little bit of ginger can really help. If you can't get your leafy greens in, I used to blend them in smoothies and put them in like cold egg frittatas. The smell often makes people quite sick as well. So having cold food and all of those sorts of things. So where you can trying to get in, you know, as many different plants into your diet during pregnancy is really important. And then the delivery method we know has a role to play. We don't live in a perfect world. I know the birthing plans very rarely play out, but you know, when I was going in, there's some really interesting research coming around vaginal seeding. Uh, have you heard of vaginal seeding before? Yeah. yeah. So essentially it's about trying to replicate what the baby would be exposed to if you have emergency C-section. So the research isn't solid enough out there for me to go and tell people that they should be doing this. There are some actual hospitals in London where they have a protocol for vaginal seeding, but there are some risks obviously attached to it. You need to make sure you don't have any, you know, a specific fungi growing in the vagina if you're going to be doing this. But essentially what it is, is kind of swiping your vaginal area as well as your rectum area. And within the first 15 seconds of baby being delivered by the C-section, you then inoculate it over the head. You wipe your vaginal microbes and your rectal microbes. So the hospital that I was birthing actually didn't support the vaginal seeding protocol. So me being a scientist, had the protocol ready, had the swab ready in case there was an emergency C-section, which thankfully didn't happen. So yes, I think that area of research, not ready quite for translation, but is something that I think is really interesting because we know that there is quite stark differences in the bacteria of babies who are born vaginally versus virus C-section. But for those, it's not all doom and gloom. You know, don't worry. There's many things we can do if you have a C-section. You mentioned breastfeeding. Again, having been there now, know how ridiculously hard it is, like out of control, you know, and particularly if you have to go back to work, that adds a whole other level of complexity. But of course, we do know that breast is best because it not only has probiotics, the bacteria in it, but also has a range of different prebiotics, which feed the gut bacteria. But, you know, there are formulas out there which do contain some pre and probiotics, not, you know, I'm going to be completely honest, not diverse, the diversity that would come from the mother's milk, 
but still a decent amount. So it's about kind of checking the formula. Again, there's not a whole lot of research on it, but thinking about the range of food additives. Some of my research team at King's is looking at specific food additives and suggesting some of them might not have a great effect on our gut health. So particularly, I think about that in the baby setting, I'm like, oh, even more concerning to try, yeah, reduce down any kind of additional food additives that they may have in formula. But, you know, again, it's never a perfect world we live in and don't be hard on yourself, I think is a really important thing that I'm learning as a mom. If you have to, you know, go down that route, absolutely fine. Think about the weaning process. And, you know, with Archie, I've loved it um, because obviously I'm so into food, but trying again to get as many different new flavors to his palate before he reaches that stage of being like, eh don't want food. I started to introduce food around four and a half months, which is a little bit earlier than the six month recommendations. Although some of the studies have been showing that actually introducing some of the key allergens like egg and peanuts earlier on, particularly if you've got a history of it, can reduce Bob's risk of having an allergy, a food allergy to those ones. But yeah, trying to get those flavors so that the palate's starting to already learn to like these slightly bitter flavors that maybe a baby who's just used to sweet milk or sweet formula Uh, might not be kind of attuned to yet. And why is it so important with our kids' microbiome? Are there any reasons different? You know, I know we talked about it for us, but are there any reasons that are particularly interesting for people to know about for our children around their microbiome? Yeah. So it's thought to be the first thousand days of life. No need to start counting, but that first thousand days of life is really important for the baby's microbiome to teach their immune system how to react appropriately to things. So for example, they teach the immune system that the protein in peanuts is completely safe and something you don't need to think is a toxin. It teaches the immune system that, yeah, that flu, that's bad. You need to get the inflammatory markers to help kill that flu. The microbiome is incredibly important for teaching our immune system and regulating it. And the first thousand days of life is thought to be really quite important for that. So some of the autoimmune conditions we see later on in life, we don't see the gut microbiome interventions being effective because we think actually it might be too late because that training period needs to happen when the baby was quite young. So yeah, I think one of the key things is trying to, in a safe way, expose your bub to, you know, healthy microbes as well. So obviously we talked about the plant diversity. So it's feeding the microbes that are in there, feeding them different types of nutrients. And in turn, that grows that diverse range of microbes, but also exposing them to what I call clean dirt. I know at the moment, everyone is very, you know, worried about germs and being ultra hygienic, which is obviously super important. But I just did a post on social actually about that fine balance between being hygienic, washing your hands, being very diligent, but also implementing some strategies to support the microbial diversity. So, you know, do we really need to gel our hands with the alcohol gel 10 times when we're at home? Probably not. You know, there is a risk of overdoing it. And this is where this hygiene hypothesis come from, where we've seen that the rates of different allergies and autoimmune conditions have really started to increase in the past, you know, 30 or so years since we've had this focus on being ultra clean. So we think that being too ultra clean potentially with our younger ones, and in turn, they haven't had that diverse range of gut bacteria to teach their immune system how to act appropriately. So things like, you know, letting them go and play 
in the garden and getting a little bit dirty is completely fine. You know, that's very different from catching the tube and not washing your hands. You know, it's about kind of the clean dirt. We know that bubs who grow up with a furry pet, like a puppy, also are exposed to more different bacteria and have lower risk of allergies as well. So if you don't have a pet, you know, let them play with their friend's pet, those sorts of things. Yeah. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon. <laughs> 